Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. My name is Kevin Appleby and today I've got a very interesting gentleman from the west coast of the United States with me, a gentleman called David Apple. And David, now Dave, David's fascinating, not, not because of accountancy, but da- David's a man with a crystal ball. Last time we chatted, we were talking about, uh, not accountancy, but football. And it's all soccer, as David likes to call it. And D- David told me that the team to watch in the European Championship was, was Italy. And I dismissed him completely, told him England were going to win and we'd be playing either Spain or Belgium in the final. So given that he said to me, Italy are going to win the European Championship, and they did. I think, David, I've got to be listening to you today. I think you just turned off the entire audience to me by telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say, I, my wife is English, so yeah. I, we all wanted England to win. I just, Italy had the hot hand. And if, if for everybody listening, if you were to ask my kids if they think dad has a crystal ball, they would say anything but. But I sure, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably enjoy Kevin and his point of view and how much he's trying to pay it forward to help us out as much as possible. And I'm so humbled and appreciative of sharing what I've been able to learn over time as I've tried to build some competency in my career to be able to help everybody. Yeah, yeah, so today, David, we're we're talking about SaaS companies, Mm -hmm. SaaS companies that, that are wanting to grow. And it's typically, uh, to me, the typical SaaS company will will go through a seed launch, will want to grow itself, and will want to go to some sort of uh, exit event to make a large amount of money for its its founders. <laughs> uh, that's, but not every one of them seems to work like that. But anyway, assuming that you're doing that, I mean, we're we're talking from the finance guy's point of view, and the finance guy is the guy that's talking to the shareholders, to the investors, and so on. He needs information mm. and he needs that information to tell to other people, David, which is, I think, where your expertise comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And what I'm about to share uh, is not a David or Sage Intact opinion. I just to share, I've interviewed 196 of our customers and in my career. Um, I've been had very blessed to we've earned the business of over 1600 customers have been part of 5,000 sales cycles. And then the message that I'm about to share was built in conjunction with one of our former board members before Sage acquired us, a great leader named Jeff Epstein, who was the CFO of Oracle for many years, and then is the finance operating partner of one of the world's top venture capital firms, Bessemer Venture Partners. And so there's a lot of data that went into what I'm about to say. And and because we're doing this you know, without slides or anything, I'm going to try to keep this really simple. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's fascinating me here talking to, talking to a guy who works for Sage, who I, I remember turning up at a presentation one day given by fellow chartered accountant from Newcastle, like myself, a chap called Graham Wiley, who founded this, this little company called uh, Sage. And he, it's, he started this off by, I'm going to tell you about a little Geordie Upstart run startup. And yeah, today, here we are. I'm talking to somebody on the other side of the world from this company started by a single man from Newcastle. Um, 
company who one of my best friends also works for. He works in Newcastle on the Sage help desk. So, you know, small world. But anyway, back to the point of the podcast, David. Now, we're talking about that SaaS company. The, the, the company is going to go through a lot of different stages. And what, mm-hmm. what do the company need to, need to accomplish at each of those, those investment stages as it's building? Yeah, but let's. So here's the simple version. I'm happy to go into more detail. When you, when someone first gets a bee in their bonnet, they uh, they want to create something. They have a vision on that they want to help people, and you just try to develop that. And your simple goal is to create product market fit. And for finance, it's really and they're rarely a finance team at this point. They're just paying some developers, and you throw you throw all the receipts in a shoebox. It's easy. But when you come out of that, when you get 10 really happy, ecstatic customers that give you a lot of feedback, that'll be your evangelist, you move to the next stage, which is prove you can sell it. And you start hiring reps and you want the reps that you hire to be able to make plans, 75% of them at least to make plan. And at this stage, you just, you're, you're really focusing on is billing and how you're trying to get billing in and then starting to build a little cash flow off of that. So some simple AP, some simple AR. Uh, the metrics at this stage are really around customer acquisition and uh, cadence and sales efficiency. But knock on wood, you've gotten that done. You're out of the pot and into the fire, which is now you want to prove your net renewal model, which is that you can hold and upsell the customers that you have. And so the cadence is a lot more on continued new customer acquisition, continued investment in the product, with now the additional layer of customer success and renewal and upsell that comes along. And yeah. this introduced for finance, and often this is where sometimes the, uh, the more mature finance leaders get hired, yeah. is you now have to track the, across the, the, what were the initial performance obligations, and then what were the initial contract obligations that you had, and start tracking them over time. And every subsequent upsell needs to tie back to those business terms and those performance obligations for to attract deferred revenue. And as all this happens, you've got a lot more people, you've got more product, you might be adding more entities. And so the finance and accounting function becomes a lot more complex with consolidations, multi-layer accounts payable, approvals, deferred revenue and deferred revenue waterfalls are a lot more complicated. And so there's like, the, we could go on and on, the measures get really important here. And then the two more stages. Once you come out of that, then you want to pour gas on the fire and you, and make it all predictable stage four. And because you've had all this success, but you've had all these failed experiments and broken glass as you got to this point, this next phase is about to make it predictable and scalable. So you start hiring a lot more advanced finance team on, and you've been paying attention to the forecast and budget versus actuals and churn to this point. I, I didn't bring that up because trying to keep it concise, but you certainly need to do that in the earlier stages. But here it becomes very important. Here it becomes extremely important. And you want to be really tracking uh, heavy duty gross margin, net dollar retention, and churn analysis at this stage, because you're trying to set yourself up for the next stage, stage five, which is a big outcome, either strategic exit or an IPO. And at this point, all of a sudden you're going global and then you've got much greater levels of scrutiny above and beyond the independent audits that you had. So there's a lot of compliance work that you need to do preparing for this, public markets reporting, international consolidations and currency. 
that you have to deal with all this on top of the massive volume that every business process that you've been trying to automate comes on top. And then after that IPO, then it's, you know, full game on. It's been game on the whole time, but it's really game on. And then being able to make it all extremely predictable for what the stock market wants. Now with SaaS to finish up with the capstone, because recurring revenue is so beautiful, when you book a deal, you can anticipate what the contracts are. Meeting investor expectations becomes a heck of a lot easier than it was in the package software world, where it was just one big fat deal. But if you didn't make it, you were screwed. And so this is the very concise, I'm happy to go in much more detail. I was trying to keep that to like three or four minutes. But that's, if you, I hope that helped you either sharpen the saw, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, or gave you some insights as to what your investors are expecting for you at the macro level that you thus need to build into. Yeah, and the, the thing that really occurs to me there, David, and you, you've started so simple. You, you, you said you've, you start off, you pay some developers, you stick the receipts in a shoebox. You can probably list them out in a spreadsheet and that's virtually done your accounts. Mm. But you get to that stage where you're going for the, the sale, the IPO, the whatever, you, you're in very, very different territory. And you oh, can't oh, get there oh, quite oh, quickly. Oh. As our listeners who've gone through that could probably... Uh, in, in your experience, and you've dealt with a, an awful lot of SaaS businesses, David. Now, what, what's that typical timescale between shoebox for the receipts to the developers and thinking about that big market God. event? It gets faster and faster. And invest however fast it is, your investors want it to be faster than what it is. Mm. You could you could do it that fast, they'd want you to do it half that fast. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you it's changed, Kevin. It's and you mentioned earlier about how not every company is successful. What I'm about to say is for the top court, you know, the top 10%, 5% that get there, you know, it's getting down to six or seven years. Mm. But then there's a lot of firms in the next quartile that are extremely successful, but it still takes 10 plus years. And there's firms that takes 15, 20 plus firms, 20 plus years to get there. Because the rub is markets move, customer sentiments change, Mm. competitors adjust, and you got to be really darn lucky to have all those things fall your way. But like anything, if 10,000 people go after something, there's, there's a likely chance one of them's mm. going to make it, but but, all, but not money more than that. Yeah. So what that's saying to me is if, if you're the finance guy in that kind of organization, let's take one of those where it is happening really fast, six to seven years. That means that every year as you're going on, the goalposts, coming back to soccer again, the goalposts have moved. You're reporting something football. Good. An American that calls the game by a proper name, football. (laughs) (laughs) You are in up in Newcastle, so I'll play to the house. Yeah. Yeah. Football's played with a round ball. Rugby's played with an oval ball. (laughs) (laughs) Let's spend the rest of the time talking about that. I bet people have even more. Oh, it could be as interesting as the the discussion about Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society we had before we pressed the record button, David. But we'll not go there. But uh, um, where were we? Where were we? Yeah, we're talking about a lot of to finance through each of those. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of change, a lot of different things happening to finance. Now, start off with the shoebox. The spreadsheet's good enough. 
Um, and we're, we're operating Grow CFO, a company. It's, it's not truly SaaS because we're not selling software, but no, we're looking at a membership business. So we, we've mm-hmm. got members and we've mm-hmm. got recurring monthly, recurring annual billing, as well as some mentoring and one-off things and so on. But no, we're handling that at the moment using zero. It's gone the step above a spreadsheet. It's gone to a modern cloud-based accounting system. How often do you reckon that, that folk in that quick scale are possibly looking and realizing that the, the systems they've got aren't good enough for what they're trying to do? Well, I think you meant to say Sage 50 just a few moments ago. Wow. Yeah, let, me, let, me get back, <laughs> let me get back to your question. Um, <clears throat> this was like all of life. If you haven't gone through it before, then you learn the hard way. Yeah. Here's a here's a classic example. Cash flow is running behind, and DSO is running behind, and everyone knows it. And you, and and the CTO can't hire the investors he or she wants. So you get your butt handed to you in a board meeting on all that, and you think, God, I gotta automate in order to get the invoices in a lot more cleanly, so I can track getting mm. cash in. Or you have been through it before and you know that's coming and you don't want to get smacked around in a board meeting and you just, I'm going to head that off. Because mm-hmm. there's, you can break this down. This is, this is classic process optimization. You can break down the processes that you need to do at each stage in order to scale. And I want to add one thing to all this. As much as there's such a cultural component to this, which is, is everybody in the company, certainly in the senior leadership team, but beyond that, clear on the simple mission of the company? And then what role each of them has in order to accomplish that? And if you can put that kind of shared consciousness and trust in place, this is so critical to truly being able to scale because there's so many things you don't know and so many things that you're going to miss and you need to be able to have the space to work through covering and you know owning your mistakes and fixing your mistakes but getting there is the finance leader because someone's going to need something for instance let's just get in i i I need to know uh, how many new customers we added last quarter yeah and then finance is like cfo's like great i want to try to produce that the earlier stages it's straightforward but in that third stage on that renewal model it gets more complicated because what happens if you had a customer that uh, was a customer for two years and left you for a year and came back. Is that a new customer or is that an upsell? Mm-hmm. Or you sell to a large company, uh, you know, uh, British Telecom, and one division, the cable business buys from you, and then the, the wireless division buys from you. Is that one customer or two customers? And you get down into that level of GORP where it's harder to answer what your CRO wants from you in order to do it. And can you, do you have the trust in order to work through that? Can you be proactive in the process automation you need to put in place in order to do that? So I'm going to, I'm happy to go deeper, but that's just the short version. I'm I'm picking up the the one core message there. And it's funny that when I've done outside of growth CFO, quite a bit of business coaching, and I nearly always say that the client, well, look, we're working together. So you become a 5 million pound business. Well, mm-hmm. look, you've got to think as though you're a five million pound business now. Mm-hmm. No good starting when you're mm-hmm. nearly there. 
So every decision you make, you, know, you need a new sales system, right? So put in the sales system now that will be the right system when you're the five million pound business. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, a, that's a core bit of learning. And we've, we've done that just recently in, in Grow CFO. I mean, at the moment, we get very few support tickets, but I know that's going to get much, much bigger as time goes on. So right, let's put in Zendesk. It's the, the, the leading customer support ticketing system. It'll grow with us. It'll grow to the point that it's not just me answering the tickets anymore. We've got a dedicated person doing that. Yeah. And yeah. I think when you're talking about that fast rate of growth, that's a key message. Put the ideal tech stack in early doors. Yeah. 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 So, David, what's, what sort of metrics do you think are the, the big challenges? And think it, thinking from the CFO's point of view, that tech stack, it's got to, well, A, it's got to do the basics. It's got to do the accounting. But what are the, what are the sort of metrics that you think are, are really key to this sort of business that uh, the tech stack has got to, got to produce for you? You know, let's, let's just expand and say we're going to turn this into a five-hour podcast if I got to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, it's that complicated. Uh, um, the... Each one of them is different at a different stage. Yeah. And it evolves too as investors try to com- differentiate from one another uh, on what the latest thing that you're trying to do. Because I want to go back to one point from the last thing we're making to tie it into this one. Uh, have good mentors. Yeah. Have, have good advisors. If you don't have one, start with Kevin. If you're listening to this and you've gone this far and you like, the advice that Kevin's done. Kevin's doing this in order to have people see his competency. So you turn to him. And advice. actually, within Grow CFO, we've got a few mentors that are a lot better than me that have um, that have been CFOs of your type of business that really want to give back. So yeah, we've, we've got a, a load of talent there. So I, I agree with you. Mentoring and coaching is is vitally important. It's no one no one can get their whole head around everything and do it all themselves. So even if they if they get so darn busy, you can't do it. So if, if right now, if you want, grab a piece of paper, take out your iPhone, and just write down the names of three or five mentors that you have. And if you have them, wonderful. And if you don't, or they're not there, pick some and get them and leverage the, a community around you, your investor yeah. community. And this is the thing that, that we find actually time and time again in, in Grow CFO. We've got this, the CFO competency framework and it, yeah. it splits out 45 different things that a CFO should be good at. Yeah. And we all know that a CFO cannot be no. good at 45 different things. The, the, you can probably and a good spouse, half a dozen of and them. And a good parent. Right. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. So and get home at a decent time for dinner and yeah. sleep at night. And yeah, it's it's a difficult challenge. And the answer for me is you you have you you focus on the things that you want to be good at. You get yourself some decent education in them. The things you don't you know you need, but you don't want to be good at, you find some other people to put around you to do them. Mm-hmm. They might be members of your team, but then don't be afraid to use professional advisors and so on. And certainly, certainly get a mentor. Because chances are somebody's had all the same problems that you've got a long time before you had them and has already figured the way through this. Or 
at the very least can say, I did this, it didn't work, so don't make the same mistake. <laughs> Lord Almighty, I hope you, you Mr. and Mrs. Listeners, you're hearing this right now, this resonates, because I, I want to come back to what your question was on what are the metrics, and so the, the, what a point I was making there is this podcast is not going to be comprehensive enough to truly help you. I'm going to say three of them right now, Yeah. but um but I hope the point is, you know, and connect with me on LinkedIn, David Apple, Sage Intact. I, I do this all day long. It's the fun part of the job for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to rattle off just three at a high level that are kind of transcend all the stages, just different levels of depth that you go into it. Velocity, profitability, and capital efficiency. And velocity is all about the pace that you're going at. You just keep it simple and just say, for instance, revenue growth, how fast is the revenue growth happening in whatever period that you've got? And then on top of that is then what's your net dollar retention? Is it, again, this ties into as you're trying to expand and upsell and renew, how much is net dollar retention? And there's so many myriad ways of calculating this, by the way. The one counsel I would say is it, there's human nature is to gravitate to presenting yourself in the best possible way. And that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But investors are going to want you to do it in the most transparent way that allows them to truly understand the business because they're just trying to invest in money in order to get returns for the pension mm-hmm. funds that invest in them and the endowments that have you know retired school teachers like my grandmother that are hoping that the pension has enough funding in order to make the money. And so everyone, everyone has to be honest and what they do. So net dollar retention come off of that. Then profitability is what's your customer uh, acquisition cost that's mm-hmm. coming. How much does it take to, to get and retain and keep a customer? And that changes and then it's blended to a new customer acquisition versus yeah. the upsell and renewals. I think from, from, from our business and the, the one that we're struggling with at the moment and that's because the length of time we've been going is understanding what the actual length of lifetime value of the customer is, which I, I guess ties back into your net dollar retention. And you know, a customer might pay you $50 a month, but how long is that customer going to stick around? There's a whole myth around membership businesses that the average membership length is three months, which we know is load of rubbish i'm looking at our average retention rate and actually we've we've not been going long enough to have a good feel of what our churn actually is because not enough people have churned um but so and the reason i think as finance guys we need to know that figure lifetime value of a customer so we can realistically be talking to our sales colleagues and we can be saying hang on a minute you want to spend a thousand dollars to acquire a customer, but a customer's only worth $900 lifetime value to us, think again. It, these are, that's why I said, let's do five hours on this thing. I mean, and we can keep going because yeah. then, and because you can use outside, you know, firms or firms similar to you as data to yeah. help guide you that you make up a number is 80% correlated to figure out what it is that you want to do. But that's why like blended CAC ratio is so important. I just want to finish off on the third one on capital efficiency, which is like, here's a great one of what's your net new ARR, your annual reoccurring revenue divided by your net burn. 
Mm. So, because you want to see how much money you bring it in versus what it's costing you to do it in order to track your capital efficiency. And there's, there's so many of these. I've written some pretty comprehensive blogs alongside some fantastic investors on this. So, the, and, and I'm happy to go much deeper. And as far as you want me to take the question, Kevin. So, but that's, that's just three examples of velocity, profitability, and capital efficiency that you want to pay attention to. Yeah. So, and David, you're, you're sitting there in, with a great big logo of Sage Intact behind you. What exactly is the selling point of Sage Intact into the sorts of things we've been talking about? Well, uh, we're the number one uh, combined usage billing and financial management platform. And what that means is you build this tech stack with us and so you can put in all the layers of all the pieces you want as you build your prospect to disclosure and we guide you through each of these phases in order to do it so you can create frictionless billing and then fast complete reporting to guide the business and minimize the amount of exceptions that you have to deal with so you can mm. really uh, cut your clothes. Yeah. And that, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, and that, that close one's one dear to my heart. I mean, way, way back in the annals of time, I used to work for PwC Consulting. And mm-hmm. a bit of the business I was in was, was called iAnalytics. And that was basically, there was, a, there was a planning and budgeting strand to that. And there was a, um, a fast close strand to that. And we, we were always working with clients and talking about the importance of a fast close and it strikes me as, as really interesting that 20 year, almost 20 years on, you know, we're still having conversations about fast close. And it's, it's something that, yeah, folk have mastered it in the simple business, simpler businesses we had 20 years ago. But all the, the, the issues now around SaaS recurring revenue and so on, it just makes that whole thing way more complicated. And we're still talking about the same problems today. We've, we've licked it in many ways, and our customers have voted us uh, the leaders in the market on this. If you go to G2.com and search on any of their subscription so categories. What, what do you think typically out of your, your customers, the, the sort of number of days to close the books is? Uh, I, in general, they say we never had a hard close. Yeah. And then they, they cut it down to under five days. They get a flash report out day one or day three a hard close day five, and then an FP&A budget versus actuals day six, day seven. And they're heroes in their companies because of that. Yeah, and when you think about it, if you've got a business that's going from shoebox to IPO in six or seven years, that is mighty fast growth, mighty fast change. And I always think about the company that takes a couple of weeks to close the books and whatever, and then the finance guy turns up at the business meeting in the third week of the month to talk about last week's report. It's like getting in your car and driving your car, looking through the rearview mirror. Yeah. Yeah. You're dead. Absolutely. Your, your competition, if you're, your competition moves way too fast for that. Yeah. David, that has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, on the my Frontier pleasure. Foundation. Kevin, it's always great to talk with you. And for all of you listening, I hope I was able to help in some small measure. And uh, it's been a pleasure meeting you. So, and Kevin, thank you for having me. 